historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-C. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the end times continue recording on this the 26th of November. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, or I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I'm Dino, and yeah. you are. Yeah, and I'm Ace. Man, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a good time? Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Pretty good. I just went out of town and, and hung out with family, and uh, because of that, I just got off a plane. There's one flight that I take back that's mm-hmm. at the same time on Sunday every time. <laughs> but it always gets me here right before it's time to record. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That that must be an experience. I've never, like, recorded something, like, right after a plane, uh, a plane flight. That is... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how you do it, to be honest, because that, that would, like... I would just be done. After oh, it's... That. I'm always tired after a plane. It, yes, it's exhausting, but... Um, yeah. I, I like doing the show. I find it energizing, and so just, it's it's fun. Just one more example of uh, you suffering for the the listeners. yes, uh, yes, for you, for yeah, all of yeah. you, yeah. beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just went and hung out, and we went out to uh, Riodosa and spent a few days out mm, there. Okay. I yeah. like it out there. We we go out there often. Um, well, somewhat often. Um, <laughs> what did you end up doing? Just stuff with family? Uh just. Yeah, just chilled. Uh, just chilled pretty much. We don't usually don't to do anything like extravagant for Thanksgiving. You know, just the turkey and stuff like that. But just basically chilled. That's excellent. That's good. Yeah. We didn't even we didn't cook shit. We went to there was a there was a oh, restaurant okay. that was doing like a Thanksgiving feed basically, and so it was a oh. buffet thing. And we went out to that. It was like oh, nobody wants God. to fucking cook a Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> sure. No. That. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> But it was fun. It was a. It was a. It was a good time. I'm glad you had a relaxing good. Thanksgiving. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there was a. Um, we went. There was a. There's a. This thing out there. This tubing thing. You you go down a down a a, a hill on a tube, and because uh, it's it's. So it was usually more snowy, but they had to make fake snow for this one. They had to use the you know the misters that make the fake snow. Yeah. They had to do that for this time, so the big hill wasn't open, but it was a couple of little runs that you could go down on a tube. And I told Lady Jane, I said, you have to do it once. And she goes, I don't want to. And I said, no, you have to do it once. And she looks at me, she goes, mandatory fun? I said, yes, mandatory fun. You have to do it once. <laughs> and we did it once, and it was fun, and we didn't do it again, because the line was long and annoying. <laughs> But yeah, mandatory fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I just got off a plane, so I'm I'm tired and a little scattered. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, I, I don't know what is that. Just it reminded me. Uh, like I think my most reoccurring nightmare uh, that I've had for years is that I'm in an airport and I can't find my flight and I'm late. I don't know what that is. Uh, but for, that's like every time, like I have that, that, that like dream, like I think, I don't know, three mm-hmm. times a month randomly. That's, that sounds like know. a classic, like anxiety dream. I know. Yes. Um, yeah. Lady Jane has dreams like that too, except usually they involve, uh, most recently they involve me meeting up with my mistress at Burger King 
for some reason. Oh, the burger king. In the yeah, middle of the night. How dare you the burger king of all places? <laughs> well, I, is... She told my parents about the dream. And my dad says, well, I mean, he would go to Burger King in the middle of the night, but it would be to get a Whopper. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not wrong. <laughs> but yeah. It sounds like an anxiety dream. It sounds like a classic anxiety dream. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I am late for my flight, I can't find where it is, and I'm stuck in an airport that I hate. Uh, That is pretty much it. We had, when I was a kid, I was a little kid, and my dad was flying, I think he was flying to Houston. Um, he He was working for Enron at the time, and he was flying to the headquarters in Houston. And... We get we get to the airport. This was before nine eleven, so we were at the gate waving to him at while he was on the plane. Um, and so he's the the plane takes off, and my mom feels her pockets and says he has the keys. Oh, it took. We sat there for hours waiting on a locksmith trying to get the car going. Like it was a dude. Oh my god. My brother was still in diapers. My brother was really, really young. I was probably <laughs> four. It was, it was bad, dude. <laughs> oh, no. And I still remember my mom when she said, he has the keys. <laughs> I still remember that. It, it, dude, it, that, I, I can still remember pieces of that night. It was so fucking stressful. Like, oh, it was really God. bad. <laughs> but yeah it was it was before 9-11 so we could wave from the windows at the gate we could wave (laughs) see him on the plane (laughs) fucking tsa fucking dealing with that shit all got anyway (laughs) uh speaking of the national security state how'd you like that segue um yeah that's terrible (laughs) um you know how uh, the FBI had all the information they needed to know that 9-11 was going to happen? They just ignored it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, a senior Israeli military intelligence officer dismissed a detailed warning predicting Hamas's raid of October 7th, calling it a, quote, oh. imaginary scenario, said two people familiar with the discussions. Now, of course, this is anonymously sourced and all this stuff, but it was from, I think you said it was from the Financial Times, right? Uh, yes, Financial Times. Yes. Not known for bullshit reporting, um, Mm -hmm. at the very least. Uh, Sentries on Israel's border with Gaza, many of them female soldiers who watch and analyze a constant feed of video and other data gathered near the electronic fence surrounding the enclave, sent a detailed report weeks before the attack to the highest-ranking intelligence officer in the Southern Command. Both people said the report was sent using a secure communication system and contained specific warnings, including that Hamas was training to blow up border posts at several locations, enter Israeli territory and take over Kibbutzim. The person with direct knowledge of the of the contents of the warning said Israel's failure to prevent the attack, which the government says killed more than twelve hundred people is now seen as its largest intelligence failure since Egypt and Syria launched a surprise assault in 1973 on Yom Kippur, Judaism's holiest day. The lower-ranking soldiers also warned their, uh, their analysis of several videos showed Hamas was rehearsing taking hostages and that they felt an attack was imminent, the person said. The memo was triggered by the sighting of a high-ranking Hamas military commander overseeing the training who was identified by the sentries against the database of faces and identities maintained by uh, Unit 8200, a part of Israeli, uh, Israeli intelligence corps. 
Quote, this is an imaginary scenario, the high-ranking intelligence officer replied, according to a description of the communications shared with the Financial Times. No action was taken, the person said. KAN, Israel's public broadcaster, reported late on Thursday details of a similar warning sent by low-ranking soldiers to their seniors. KAN added that the warning included the possibility of an aircraft being downed and of Hamas raising its flags over Israeli territory. A second person familiar with the issue said the failure to take uh, the report seriously had become an issue of discussion, verging on disciplinary action within the intelligence community. This person has been told a similar description of the communications. In response to a query from Financial Times, the Israeli Defense Forces said its, quote, commanders and soldiers were exclusively focused strictly on their mission to defeat Hamas. uh, Quote, following the war, a thorough investigation will be conducted to clarify all the details, the IDF said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh. So they're going to have a nice little 9-11 commission report. I wonder how many pages of theirs will be classified. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, right? And obviously, this can obviously lead to like people, uh, you know, theorizing about, you know, did they allow it to happen, or you know, did they just, you know, bl- was it a big blunder? Uh, and it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, no matter what it is, like the fact that you have to keep asking those questions, like whether it was just a blunder or whether it was like they intentionally let it happen to, you know, capitalize on the aftermath. Yes, uh, it's like you know, yes, like states in general have monopolies in general have an incentive for things to go badly so that they can be perceived as fixing them uh well not only that but further consolidate power never let a good crisis go to waste right right exactly you know it's like if you have like a a monopolist or a dentist who's a monopolist in town he has an absolute incentive to just let your teeth go get really bad and you know like try to do at least be perceived to be fixing them but never actually you know may give these give anyone a solution to their problems because then they won't need them anymore right so obviously well, right you know, and uh, he has further than that he has an incentive to dump sugar in the water supply like he has right, an, exactly. an incentive yes. to actually be destructive to people's teeth yes right whether he actually will do that or not it's like the fact that he has an incentive is something that you know you can't you can't ignore it uh, right. So it's like you, yeah. When all these states just you know be like, oh wow, look at all these problems. Look at all these boogeymen out to get us. Look at all these problems we have. That's why I need more power to protect you people. Uh, yeah. It's like, mm, interesting. How curious. Well, and that's what makes it difficult to tell when you have a you you can have uh, there's yeah. the there's the classic sort of don't attribute to malice what can be explained by ignorance, right? Um, mm-hmm. that that sort of idea that well they didn't have to actively let it happen um it's, it's very much like the 9-11 thing they didn't have to actively let it happen they all they had to do was ignore the signs right you know what i mean like all they had to do yeah. was overlook shit um yeah. and it becomes it very difficult it could simultaneously be a blunder it could simultaneously be a blunder and they benefit in some fashion from from this happening in the right. sense that they can consolidate, you know, uh, you know, general goodwill or you know, appeasement or whatever. Yes, and that's what makes that that's exactly what makes that kind of thing difficult is because this is exactly the kind of crisis Netanyahu needed. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's the sort of thing where it's like, well, I mean, how, how, um. How bad a guy do we think Netanyahu is? Do we think he's the kind of guy who lets something like this happen or the kind of guy who takes advantage of it when it does? I uh, genuinely I actually don't know. I don't either. 
I don't either. But I do know that it's very easy for big bureaucratic intelligence apparatuses like Israel's, like ours, to make these mistakes. Right. I mean, how many times there was the there was the woman who was in one of the field offices in the Midwest who who was interviewed on the Scott Horton show. Um, this is when I was still in law school, so this was a long time ago now. But um, well, not a long, long time ago, but maybe a year. And she was interviewed, and she said that they knew that there were guys taking taking flying lessons and not particularly interested in learning how to land. They knew that they were Muslims. Yeah. They knew they probably had links to uh, to uh, uh, extremist organizations, and so they sent that information to the to uh, the Hoover Building to the headquarters, and it was just left in a stack somewhere. Like it, it was just ignored. Yeah, it's like obviously again, even if it's not intentional, an intentional disregard, it's like they have no incentive to actually really care, right? Because obviously, if they if if some like terrorist attack happens, they can say. Uh, oh, you know, we'll if it comes to light that there was some type of, you know, mismanagement or something in regard to like their information, the, you know, their quote unquote duty to protect. Right. Uh, they can just say they can just say, oh, well, we'll take full responsibility and ensure we'll, you know, we'll take measures to make sure we crack down on this hard. And what that really means is we're going to consolidate more power and uh, we're going to pretend we're actually taking responsibility when we're just getting more power to do what we want. Exactly. Uh, that's what that means. Exactly. When, when a politician tells you I'm taking responsibility, you can just insert I'm taking power. That's what that means. Exactly. And it's a it's a it, what's what's really what's really sort of what you just said there lines up exactly with what we know of the FBI post 9/11. That the mm-hmm. FBI is a terror factory and they ultimately <laughs> benefit from crises like 9-11, from crises like October 7th. These, these intelligence, the intelligence community, big quote-unquote, you know, whatever, um, air quotes, they, they, they benefit from crises mm-hmm. like that. And so they do have a perverse incentive to really not pay yeah. that much attention. E- even if they don't, even if they would rather something like this not happen, the incentive is that they, well, you know, if we miss it, eh, so what? We get more money. It's always annoying to me when people talk about like when you're trying to like uh, promote like market competition or just free markets in general, and people talk about like these large corporations who would just like screw over their consumers. It's like no, 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 no. The market is the only thing that turns that perverse incentive to screw over their consumers into something that where that will not be beneficial. Yes, like that, it, that's the only safeguard in a monopoly. That yes, there is a perverse incentive to screw over your customers a hundred percent. Uh, it is only through competition that that is not the case. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, why, you know, states are very perverse. Yes. Uh, but it's just, it's interesting that, you know, you never, people are like, if, if this was like a large corporation, people would be giving them so much more credit. Um, if it was a corporation as opposed to a state. And it's, it's just, you know, I could harp on that forever. I think any anarchist could, but it, yes. it is a just interesting thing that bugs me where it's like, no, 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 you, th- this is a monopoly. You treat them like any other monopoly, and they, they have the same perverse incentives uh, that any other monopoly does. That's exactly right. Um, I want to return, actually, to that idea of market stuff here in a minute, but uh, mm-hmm. before we do that, um, the hostage exchange. The, oh, yes. uh, there, there is a ceasefire that appears to be um, uh, being held. Uh, there was an early report of about 15 minutes after the ceasefire, uh, a rocket was launched from one rocket 
was launched from Gaza toward Israel. Um, it is, I have not seen any reports confirming that that was actually a Hamas rocket as opposed to any one of the many independent actors who like to throw rockets at people. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. so there's, but, but it seems to really not have done anything particularly bad because the, uh, the, the, the ceasefire is ongoing and the, uh, hostage exchanges are happening. There's been one exchange already. Um, this from CBS news, Hamas to release a second group of Israeli hostages. After an hours-long delay, mediators say uh, Hamas is to release a second group of hostages. After a delay on Saturday, U.S. officials confirmed on CBS News. Qatari and Egyptian mediators say Hamas agreed to release 13 Israelis and 7 foreigners on Saturday in exchange for 39 Palestinians imprisoned by Israel, the Associated Press reported. The International Committee of the Red Cross, the the ICRC, was moving to collect the hostages, said National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson. President Joe Biden was updated on the latest developments after directly speaking earlier with the Emir of Qatar and the Qatari Prime Minister on potential holdups to the deal and mechanisms to resolve them. Uh, the expected release of the second group of hostages held by Hamas in exchange for Palestinian prisoners held by Israel comes after an hours-long delay on Saturday as the militant group accused Israel of not complying with the deal's terms. The last-minute snag created a tense standoff on the second day of what is meant to be a four-day ceasefire. Until Saturday afternoon, it still appeared everything was going according to plan. Aid trucks were entering Gaza. Hamas handed a list of more than a dozen hostages slated for release to mediators, uh, Qatar, uh, to mediators Qatar and Egypt. And Israel's prison service prepared a list of dozens of Palestinian prisoners for release. Now, this is something that's interesting. I saw a report that of uh, a, a, a massive number, and I, I've forgotten the number, the exact number. It was 200 and something, I think, of the prisoners being released by Israel or children. Yes, I I, heard, I saw a similar report. Yeah, I can't verify that exactly, but I did see a report just like that. Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense because we know that they do not take kindly to children who throw rocks. Um, right. And so they, you know, I wouldn't put it past them to keep children in a, an Israeli prison for terrorists. Um, and they also don't exactly have uh, freedom of speech, so many of them might be there for, like, waving, you know, a, a flag or something. Yeah, just for flag. protesting. You know yeah, yeah, so. Yes. Uh, by nightfall, as the hostages should have emerged from Gaza, Hamas announced it would be delaying the release over what it said were Israeli truce violations. The group alleged that the aid deliveries permitted by Israel fell short of what was promised, and that not enough of the aid was reaching northern Gaza, the focus of Israel's ground offensive in the main combat zone. Hamas also said not enough veteran prisoners were freed from the, last, from the first swap on Friday. Uh, quote, this is putting the deal in danger, and we have uh, spoken to mediators about that. Osama uh, Hamdan, a senior Hamas official, said in Beirut. Now, Osama Hamdan, I do not know. I I, I know from from listening to Scott and a couple other people that there's a a a, a sort of a, a a a rift in Hamas's leadership between the military guys and the political guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know sort of who's calling the shots on the ground there. It's an interesting thing. I, I wouldn't expect that the military guys would would actually make the ceasefire deal happen. That was probably the political guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I, 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 it, it seems like there might be oh, some friction there. But in any case, while uncertainty around the details of the exchange remained, there was some optimism amid the scenes of joyous families reuniting on both sides. On the first day of the four-day ceasefire, Hamas released 24 of the roughly 240 hostages taken during, the, during its October 7th attack on Israel that triggered the war, and Israel freed 39 Palestinians from prison. Those freed in Gaza were 13 Israelis, 10 Thais, and a Filipino. 
Earlier Saturday, Hamas officials provided a conflicting reports on whether 13 or 14, ho- 14 hostages were set uh, for release, with three Palestinian prisoners to be freed for each hostage under the deal. The corresponding number of freed Palestinian prisoners was to be 39 or 42. Um, that kind of tells you how many more Palestinians Israel actually has in their prison. Like, right. <laughs> but in any case, yeah. there's been there's been um, there's there's more to this Listen, story, but. Um, but there's been a lot of hostages released over the last little bit, and it is um, really nice to see. I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. That is a good thing. Yes. Wasn't um. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Hamas all like trying to get the hostage exchange from the beginning, or was that a thing that they said that they offered later on? Um, I thought it was something that they were kind of like wanting to have from the beginning. That's why they took the hostages. Um, well, that's why you take hostages. I mean, right, right. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just wondering because, like, uh, you know, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm glad this is happening, but it's like, you know, what was the point of all that destruction in the first place? Uh, you know, uh, uh, that you know, like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, the, like why? Uh, so if you're just going to like, for one, Israel's whole thing doesn't really make sense unless you like think that there's some ulterior motive from them, because for one. If you're if you claim is that well no we just want the hostages released we don't know where they are the hostages are we're just going to start bombing the place it's like, yes I, well that's a, that's a little odd right that's a, that's, that's a little, the thing that I wonder odd. after you know in in twenty years who's going to come out from the IDF and say oh yeah we killed like thirty of those hostages you know what I mean like right. who's right. like well, what's going to happen in yeah. that amount of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the actual stories start to come out. Right. And if you're just going to, like, negotiate anyway, uh, you know, uh, you didn't need to kill all those uh, civilians to do so. Now, maybe right. the argument could be, well, you needed to, like, put pressure on Hamas to capitulate uh, more. Uh, you know, that's one argument someone could. But it just seems like if you're going to do this, then you could have done it without bombing them, without, you know, uh, bombing those innocent people in, in Gaza. So it seems like, you know, it seems like there is something else or it, it just doesn't make sense. There's some other ulterior motive that they're um, there uh, for the reason why they're doing it. Because, you know, at, at first it was like, we don't need, we're not going to negotiate with terrorists, that type of thing, you know, rah, 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 get sure. and your uh, society motivated and let's go, let's go get these guys. It's like, and I, again, I don't mean to sound like I'm like poo pooing it or anything like that. It's like, it's, it's a good, it's a very good outcome, but it's just, it strikes me as like, oh, well, you could have done this from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> Yes, and, and, and this is one of the things, but here's the thing, right? Um, uh, Scott's been saying, and I think he's correct about this, that, that in, in any, he's been, he's been quoting from Rules for Radicals, right? And he's been saying, you know, in, in any sort of, uh, in any, what does he call it, an unconventional um, political action, something like that, the, the action is in the reaction of your opponent, right? I think Hamas right. knew that Israel would not let a good crisis yes. go to waste. I think yes. Hamas knew that Israel would take this opportunity to, I think, personally, I think Israel wants North Gaza. And I don't think that North Gaza is going to be North Gaza anymore. Mm-hmm. I think North Gaza is going to be full of Israeli settlements and kibbutzim, and it's going uh, to be that line where the Gaza Strip is is going to be cut in half now. Yeah. I, I Bisected along that riverbed that we mentioned, I think, on the last episode. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think I, I think Hamas knew that that was going to happen, and and it could have been yeah. that Israel just said, "Okay, let's just figure out what we're going to do here about these hostages," and right. didn't do right. military action. It could that could have been the result, and frankly, it would have been a better result, I think. But right, but there is I I do I do see though and understand the argument that you cannot um, give the mouse the cookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. You right. can't reward yes. that kind of behavior. Right. So I do know, I, I, I understand and agree that Israel needed some sort of military solution to this problem mm-hmm. after October 7th. I, I think it would have been better to use the special forces they brag about so much and, and rather than flattening neighborhoods. That's where my argument goes right. to. You know what I mean? Right. But, um... But it is good. I I don't want to. I don't no, want. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to shit all over it. It is good that these hostages are being exchanged on both sides. By the way, Israel's yes. got people in prison that should not be in prison. Right. Yep. But I I don't know. To your point. To your point. I I think the I think the underlying sort of thing is that Israel wanted to take the opportunity to take North Gaza. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? I think that's probably correct, yeah. And by the way, I've also seen fell out of the news cycle entirely, uh, the West Bank. I don't know what's going on there, but it, it, the West Bank has fallen out of the news cycle entirely. Have you seen anything about it recently? Uh, I, have n- I have only seen reports here and there. I, I've been sort of unplugged the past week. Um, oh, okay, yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen anything about the West Bank in the news cycle in the like for real um, since I've only a heard, couple of weeks I've ago. I've only heard mentions of it from like uh, like some antiwar.com people every once in a while. I haven't seen like any actual like mainstream reports on it. I know Michael Tracy posted a thing where he actually went to one of the villages that was mm-hmm. there that had been abandoned. Mm. And uh, and the pictures were pretty bad, man. Like. And I know people people go into the people go into the comments on those pictures. This bugs me. People go into the comments on those pictures and they post like what, like a couple of corrugated steel buildings, like that's your village. And it's like, yeah, these people don't have a home. Like they've been <laughs> they've they've been run out of their homes. Right. Oh god. I I, I was arguing with someone yesterday where uh, they were trying to say, well, well, the Gaza isn't an open-air concentration camp. Look, they have a resort. And here's I an that, yeah. from that resort. It's like, dude, dude, uh, uh, just because people try to make the best of a bad situation does not mean they are not being oppressed. I am sorry to break that to you, but just because someone tries to find some type of leisure and people try to live the best lives they can does not mean that there is no unjust action happening towards them. Well, it's just here's, dumb. The, here's the thing about a resort, man. A resort's not for Gazans. It's for tourists. Right. right. A resort is not for Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. It's for tourists. Right, it's for point. fucking yeah, Israelis yeah. and Turks who are taking vacations to the Gaza Strip for some reason. Yeah. That's who a resort's for. Yeah, right. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Your average Palestinian would be lucky to be the towel boy there. Yeah. God, I don't understand that. I really don't. <laughs> I, it it, it blows like, my mind. It's always, 
I am extremely suspicious of people who, when you say, hey, there's a group of people here suffering, and the first thing they do is they try to say, oh, yeah, but look, they have this nice thing that other people might not have. Uh, it's like, okay, maybe they do, you know? Like, like I don't know. Just because, like, if someone, you know, uh, loses an arm or something, uh, you know, uh, and but then a person's like, oh, but see, they have three other limbs. It's like, y- yes. <laughs> and... Well, what, even outside, what is your point? I mean, just like that, you go to a, go to a sandals resort in the Caribbean. What do you see? All the all the patrons are white Americans or rich Brazilians, and all of right. the all the people walking around handing them drinks or speaking patois. That's not the resort is not for the locals. It's a great well, source like, of know, jobs. It, I won't deny that. Yeah, but it's not yeah. for them. Right, that's a great point. And also, but even so, even if like like in in World War Two, in the internment of the Japanese Americans, uh, if like you know, if the American government had made it like kind of nice in there, you know, or nicer, yeah. or whatever, uh, it's like built them a couple of strip malls. <laughs> yeah, they'd still be in prison. I I, I just yeah. want everyone to. Well, it's the same that. argument. And here's the thing: a lot of these people making that argument are making that argument from the conservative side. They're conservatives yes. who who are against. Um, who are against any kind of solution to this problem, that, or, or who don't believe that Israel is responsible for any kind of human rights abuses at all? The, it's the, it's this, it's this group of conservatives who, if you recall, a few short years ago, were making the very same argument we are making right now about the fucking COVID camps in Australia. Yeah, that's that's a great point, man. Yeah. It's a nice little vacation spot where everybody can go hang out in these cabins in Australia. It's fucking yeah, camps. Oh yeah, they don't have it bad. Don't don't you know? Forget the fact that they can't leave on their own volition. Uh, they have a good in there. It's okay. <laughs> that was the argument that that woman from Quillet was making about them, as if they were a good yeah. thing. And yeah, all I mean, these conservatives if you get locked in your house. It's not a problem if you have a nice house, right? Right. Like, house it, arrest it, it, isn't really arrest. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's this exact. Oh, speaking of shit, there's another topic I'm gonna write down real quick. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. the 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 show is is getting no, no. more intricate as we go. Yeah, no, um, um. Yeah. The uh, in any case. Yeah. It just it, that that argument really bugs the shit out of me because conservatives are making the opposite argument of a couple of short years ago. Oh yeah. Um, but in any case, hostage exchanges, good things. Ceasefire, good yes. things. All yep. good things. <laughs> I'm happy to see them. <laughs> yes. Um, I said I wanted to return to that conversation about markets. Yeah. Um, apparently, and this is something that I didn't really know was a thing, the mutualists and the communists are shocked that the anarcho-capitalists... Oh, really? Don't have a problem with worker-owned cooperatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this this happened as fallout from uh, Millet. One of the first things he wants to do, or one of the things that he said he was going to do quickly, was to denationalize um, the national Argentinian airline. Yes. And basically, what what's going to happen is it's going it's going to be owned by the uh, the people who work there, the employees. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to do this in the form of like stock certificates, mm-hmm. um, 
Like, oh. if they're going to basically force an IPO on them and be like, okay, all the employees now own so much stock in the company and they can sell it if they want to or whatever. I don't know if they're going to do it that way or, or do you know anything about that? Uh, I, I did not look into the specifics of it. No, I saw mostly the outrage, uh, though, from it uh, or the like the shock, I guess I would say. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I uh, Necro, Necro Spy, he he posted a tweet that I, I found so like perfectly. We need to have him on the show again soon. He's great. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, he he was saying how he made a tweet after this happened where it's like, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it pulled up, in front, but he was saying something to the effect that a, a lot of times it seems like people just describe uh, polit- like what is socialism versus what is capitalism by just like the internal workings of their own firm. <laughs> like, yes, uh, that's, what they, that's what they mean. Like, what is the workplace like? Uh, what is your- yeah, that's a really good point. And rather than a more like broad uh, um, definition of those terms, uh, and it, it's so true. But also that that thing is interesting too, because um, uh, Murray Rothbard has a piece called "Confiscation and the Homestead Principle," in which he argues uh, essentially exactly this. Which is, and look, I have a few quibbles actually with this, and I, I've I've had more quibbles as time has gone on. Uh, but but besides that, we'll forget that for a second. Um, the, um, in that piece, he's essentially like, yeah, look. Um, if these companies are like, e- like in cooperation with the state, is they have like a majority of their um, like funds have come from the state, and much of their like purchase, like things they purchased have come from state tax dollars and things like that. Uh, then essentially, what they purchase, it's not really their own. They don't really own anything. Uh, uh, essentially, these nationalized companies. Yes, and he's saying, well, who then owns it? And, and Rothbard is like, well, the people who have mixed their labor, uh, you know, to use the Lockean analogy, with the actual equipment there. Since it's unowned, since the company did, did not own it, the workers are the ones who homesteaded it. Uh, the 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 internal working, the like the actual property in the company. Uh, so that Rothbard actually is in that piece. He is in favor of like uh, nationalized companies being turned into worker cooperatives. Um, yeah, and here's the idea. thing. I, I This is an argument that I made way back in the day on a website that is now, I don't think the website's even up anymore, the Rogue File. I'm probably going to bring it back up later on, but mm-hmm. um, probably next time I have a real hankering to write something on it, I'll have to re-up it. But I actually let the site lapse because, boy, that's a lot of money per year to keep a site up. Um, <laughs> and that was, the, that was the weak link that I let go in order to keep the other sites up. Um. But in any case, the, the, the argument that I made there and, and, and this why I started calling myself a market anarchist as opposed to yeah. an anarcho-capitalist was that mm-hmm. it is true, I think, that the cooperative ownership structure is a quote-unquote socialist mode. Like, it's a, it's a, it is a socialist mode of operating a, a, a firm, a, an organization. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and the reason that I think it's valuable and good to have cooperatives is because um when i was a kid all of our telephony and our uh electricity was served by a co-op we lived out in the boonies um when even when i was an adult and living in in west texas i still had a co-op giving me electricity my telephony and other stuff was a was a corporation but i still had a co-op giving me electricity these are these co-ops are good things. They allow people to pool yes. resources in a way that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this is something, you know, that's a great point. Because I, I've, uh, as people know, if people like followed me on Twitter, I, I don't describe myself as an anarcho-capitalist either if, for similar reasons. 
Um, um, and it's interesting to me too because I think I, I think it's just like I, I just don't want to argue over the definition of capitalism. It is so like, that's one of the issues is the, the four it's, definitions it's of just, capitalism and yeah 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 yeah. And, and when, one of the reasons is it, it's it, when I'm when you talk to someone about capitalism, their immediate they they I find most people think of like Wall Street or these large corporations and that's like the first thing that comes to their mind when you talk about capitalism right it depends usually when you're talking to someone up the more left variety right that that'll probably be their first instinct some people on the right too um but anyway uh the point is uh yeah it, under like uh like market anarchism people can cooperate in whatever arrangement they see is uh you know that is non aggressive and voluntary right that that's just like what we as market anarchists believe and that is sometimes going to take the form of cooperatives or mutual aid associations yes. or even communes right like yes. uh, they're like contractually right you know and this is also one thing like i i don't i don't usually quibble with people but when people are talking about like well uh, you can't really have an egalitarian uh under market anarchism you couldn't have an egalitarian Society. And I understand what they're saying, and I agree with what they're saying in their understanding of the word. In the but broadest terms, yeah. You, yeah. you could theoretically have a contractual covenant community where your wealth is split evenly between all members. Uh, the income is divided. Which would evenly. also, you I know. mean, here's the thing, too. That would also be, yeah. that. I mean, I want, I want this. I want somebody to make the communist argument for Hoppianism. I want right, yes. someone to make that exact <laughs> yeah. argument because it is totally reasonable. Yeah, you could you could totally do it. Like like that is perfectly legitimate under a market anarchist uh, like framework is that if you and a bunch of other people want to make it so that your income or maybe even your amenities or your standards are all equalized between each member, uh, you could theoretically go for that. You know, wh- whether that succeeds or not or whether that has the results you intend for it to have that's another matter but but the, besides for all that you know putting that aside you could do it it's not illegitimate um and has hoppa ever written about how the commune is a hoppy and covenant community formed oh, yeah, uh, I mean, with uh, communist uh, yeah. precepts In, yeah most people always look at hoppa's post look, look at his um like posts about like you know the right-wing christian covenant community but he's also said uh, any any other like leftists could make their own covenant as well right like if you wanted to like uh you know uh yeah he he's he's like said no that's yeah perfectly legitimate um um but yeah no you can absolutely do that and look like uh mutual aid is like when i'm talking about market and this is why i actually like market as a term better than capitalism specifically is i think it's more broad and it's actually more it is yes broad i agree um, with that look, yeah uh, most people would not instinctively think that for example right as anarchists, we're opposed in in one sense. We're opposed to socialized medicine. In another, we're not. Uh, for example, <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, like we're opposed to state enforced socialized medicine, obviously, because that involves aggression. Uh, we're not necessarily opposed to insurance or mutual aid association, where the cost is socialized between the people paying. Right. Yes. The way uh, it used to be when when you went to these, um, there was a there was the mutual aid organization, the mutual aid association. Where do you think Liberty Mutual came from? These were organizations. (laughs) These were organizations that were formed largely in immigrant communities, especially in places like New York and and San Francisco. These these immigrant communities 
would all pool their resources and hire a neighborhood doctor. And the doctor would work out of their lodge or whatever you call their sort of HQ for their mutual aid organization. The doctor worked out of the lodge and you went and you were able to get medical care there. And you were able to do all these things just because people pooled their resources in a way that was fundamentally voluntary. And sometimes the lodge would contract with like uh, other doctors and stuff like that. In fact, one of the... Um, one of my favorite pieces uh, um, of like just hit, like pop anarchist history uh, is an it's an article written by Roderick Long, one of my favorite uh, anarchists, and he it's how the government solved the healthcare crisis. Title and what he means and the healthcare crisis he's uh, talking about in this article is the medical establishment at the time hated hated the mutual aid societies. They hated these lodges. They despise them because they were causing doctors to compete for contracts with them and therefore driving the price of their service down too low. And they felt it was beneath <laughs> the dignity. The doctors, the, the doctors at the time believed it was beneath the dignity of their uh, profession yes. to be uh, trying to serve these poor immigrant communities at the time. Uh, they were so upset by this. That uh, the create the AMA, the American Medical Association, uh, essentially tried uh, like would blacklist doctors if they started contracting with lodges, and they would say we're not going to certify you officially. And also, they uh, use the state to essentially crack down on these mutual aid societies. So the reason, you know, when all these leftists talk about like, you know, oh well, it's markets. The markets are the reason why we don't have socialized medicine or or good living standards. Uh, you know, or anything like that. It's like, no, no, actually, you're wrong. <laughs> Is the government literally wrong. the monopoly enforced by the government? Yes, the, the the state destroyed mutual aid societies. They destroyed these like uh, uh, this institute, like these institutions, which literally allowed human beings to live. Like uh, without these, there's a very good case to be made that a large amount of people would have died without these community-based uh, mutual aid organizations right. in early America. Um, I think it was um, uh, one in like one in three Americans during the Great Depression, something like that. One in three Americans were a part of at least one mutual aid society during the Great Depression. Um, and it's never talked about. In fact, if you... Uh, I've, I've read, uh, you know, I've obviously read... Uh, things like mainstream history books i've never ever seen except maybe one time an off like reference mention of a mutual aid society or a lodge yeah they're all core to the american experience especially the immigrant experience yes it's it's so it's in in any case which is it's a form of a co-op by the way and it's also a it's 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 one of these things that it it made me laugh when there was that guy that that we were speaking to the other day who was like, <laughs> wait a minute, anarcho capitalists are 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 for worker owned co ops, and it's like, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, any solution, any solution that keeps this out of the hands of the government, any solution that makes sure that this is privately owned, absolutely, yeah, it's um, one of those where. And, and, you know, also, like, something else historically about the lodges is that um, uh, I, I think they said, like, uh, like uh, just, like, I forget what it was, but, like, it, it was very cheap to have, like, a year of coverage for these. You would pay in, each person would pay in, right, to a collective pot, and then it's just like insurance in 
like best case scenario. Uh, and then when one of the members like fell on hard times, they would use a, a portion of that to help them and support them. Yes. Right? And the mutual aid lodges would be, uh, you know, it would be for like unemployment, you know, med- med- medical. Uh, they would sometimes they at their HQ, they would provide housing, like food, supplies, you know, a beans bunch and of rice. Things. Yeah. Like we can like yeah, if you if you just lost right, your job, right. we there can make more. sure you have beans and rice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's the kind of thing where they they. <sighs> It's 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 exactly like the electricity co-ops out in the boonies of the United States today, where you pull enough people and you can support infrastructure like that. Yeah, because like, you know, if there's ever a scenario where like, you know, and look, uh, I, I in a free market, obviously costs would be uh, very much reduced in every area as much as possible right yes uh, as much as possible given the the environment well they have to be um, because you're in a competitive environment yeah right but even if something was too expensive for a specific person uh that's why pooling resources to uh together is beneficial in that, those circumstances yes because if it, you know if it's something's too expensive for any one person well you can uh joint jointly together uh purchase that uh so it's um it's just beneficial in general and you know what's funny is that the socialists and the right wingers are both looking for the same thing, right? Uh, the right wingers will talk about this, you know, where is the community solidarity of old, right? Yep. Where is this like community bond? And the socialists will be like, you know, why do we not? Why, you know, am I at risk for losing my livelihood? If I get a uh, if I get sick or something like that because of the doctor's bill, you know? And it's like both. Of these groups are blaming, seeing there's a problem, and they're blaming <laughs> completely wrong people. Yeah, like, like both the right and the left will blame. Oh, it's market consumerism that destroyed these bonds. It's like, no, uh, you're. It's it's just uh, you're seeing the results of a captive market after uh, the market um, uh, got ca- essentially regulated to hell. Well, the same um, and, is true. I, I agree with you. The same is true for the argument that the right makes where it's like, oh, this postmodern society where everyone's all atomized and stuff. By the way, using very Marxian language, talking about alienation yeah, from your neighbors yeah. and all this other stuff. And, and, and all, she wins again. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> ten time. The ten time <laughs> That's exactly right. But it's like, it's yeah. because you're not, you're not, in, you are in a situation where the government provides monopolies to large corporations allowing you as an individual to not have to know anyone you don't have to know anyone you you can you can operate in this world almost as a man unto himself having no connection whatsoever to anyone around you because right, you're, you're just you're third party everywhere Every, exactly third party. You're just your groceries are provided by a large multinational corporation your insurance is provided by a massive basically hedge fund um, that, 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 that purports to take care of your medical care, your, all, all of your, uh, security, right? All of your security is based on some fucking police force that takes 15 minutes to respond to an emergency call. Like, oh, this yeah. is all, uh, people are so atomized, not because of the, not because of capitalism or the free market and not because of postmodern society. People are atomized because of government monopolies on everything. Yeah. Yes. You don't yeah. have to know and, your neighbor anymore, right? And also, I do want to—I I do want to say that I, I should clarify. There's some types of conservatives who uh, long for the day when it was almost impossible for you to leave your 
hometown. <laughs> so yes. I do want to say that I'm glad that that's not a thing anymore. But but uh, I do agree that you know, but like their complaints about like you know not knowing people in your community, I think is valid because I, I do think that that is a something that naturally uh, would not be as uh, much of a problem if the government not regulated many of these uh, society based um, solutions. Yeah, uh, out of existence. Um, I agree. I, I think that's I, I think that's completely true. And also, uh, like a lot of people will talk about, like you know, oh well, it sounds like you're just describing insurance. Well, I yeah, in some, I'm uh, describing it an idealized version of insurance. Insurance, what what's being described real. here is what was before insurance. Before this it got was, bastardized. Yeah, yeah, this was this is proto insurance. This was a this was a yeah. system of people that knew each other and had a place to go to get their medical care. There was a yeah. a real building that was owned by the association of everyone who lived in that neighborhood, or all the people, all let's say all the Irish who lived in that neighborhood owned a building, and you would go to that building, and that's where your doctor was because he worked yeah. for your association. Yeah. Like that's what it that's that is. Yes, it's like insurance, except that no. it's um real it's not, instead of a hedge fund. And it's not uh, captive by the state. Right. It, like a lot of times why like people have really uh, big complaints with insurance company is that the insurance companies are benefiting from the captive nature of the market and they're yes. not actually facing real competition. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> you're, you're not seeing like prices as they would be in a complete market well there's the um, other issue that. now where the insurance companies are actually trying to monopolize medical service so they're paying themselves yeah like that's right. that's one of the things that's happening sort of under all of this post obamacare is post the post the american Healthcare act or whatever it was called i think that's what it was called there uh the the, the insurance companies are trying to take over medical provision mm-hmm. just directly so that they're not yeah. pay- so they're paying themselves when they pay yeah <laughs> right it's a great, great job if you can get it. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's, yeah. that's, I thought that was a great thing when, when people were kind of discovering that, like, no, market anarchists and anarcho-capitalists, right? I, I have yet to meet, when I wrote that piece on the Rogue File, I had a number of anarcho-capitalists responding saying, like, this has always been fine with us. And I'm like, I know, I know, I just don't like the capitalist thing because it carries all this Marxian, Marxian baggage and all this other mm-hmm. shit. I just don't like the word. But... Yes, I'm aware. Most anarcho-capitalists are totally fine with cooperatives yeah. and always and have like, been. You can easily imagine. And look, even if we wanted to like formalize the, uh, you know, the like lodge system uh, more heavily to suit more of like a social um, um, uh, end, right? You can imagine a covenant community where on, on in the contract for like being able to use the property from the owner, the owner's property, think of it like an apartment building, right? The owner owns the apartment building and he can contract um, certain things out in regards to like the condition upon entrance and, and yeah. stay, right? Um, you can say in there, okay, everyone in here uh, in order to use my property uh, is going to be registered in the lodge in, in the, and we're going to have a socialized, uh, you know, health system within this apartment complex. If to market anarchists, that's completely fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can do that. As long as it's not that forced. I mean, if somebody wants to move into right. the apartment building and pay for their apartment but not pay for the for the lodge and use their own doctor or whatever it is, I mean, you're, you're not allowed to pull out a gun and put them up against the wall if whoever rented them the apartment wanted to rent them the apartment. Like, that's fine. But 
Yeah, yeah, they can still use their own doctor if they want to go to like their own private doctor. Uh, sure, they're uh, apply the, the the apartment owner can stipulate. Yeah, uh, I set up a lodge here, and uh, you know it, it's a package deal. If you want to use my apartment, you're gonna you know uh, some of the rent. Maybe the rent will be a little higher to also pay for the lodge services. Yes. The, something like and that. And you can do you know, this. You can do deal. this with all kinds of expensive services. You could do this yeah. with. That's what legal aid systems are. That's what, um, yeah. except legal aid systems are often paid by, this is one of the interesting things, in Texas, I don't know if people know this, in Texas, when you're an attorney, you set up an account called an IALTA, okay, and this is a, this is a bank account where you put your unearned money from uh, when, when your client paid you. So, your, your attorney says, I want $20,000 to do this case. He's not going to take that 20000 up front. It's going to be in the contract when he's mm-hmm. earned portions of that $20. While that money is unearned, it sits in an account called an IALTA. And in mm-hmm. an IALTA, it earns interest because it's sitting with the bank, right? So the bank uses right. it, lends it out, and the money earns interest. That bank account's growing to grow. That interest, according to the rules of the Texas State Bar, that interest has to go to fund Texas Legal Aid. Nobody gets to keep the interest, mm-hmm. not the client, not the attorney. The, right. the interest gets sent to fund Texas legal aid attorneys yep. that serve poor and indigent clients. That's what that money goes to. Now, do I think it's a good thing? Yes. I also think it would be better if the client could keep their fucking money. I've got it wrapped up in mm-hmm. an IALTA. If there's a portion of it that's unearned, I have to give it back to them. So I would like them mm-hmm. to actually get their interest, but I'm actually okay with the idea that it goes to fund legal aid. I'm cool yeah. with that. Yeah. And again, this, as you said, this can be used for a bunch of different things. Like really whatever, like what, like really whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, that type of system can just work. You can bundle things together, bundle packages together and say, Hey, um, a portion of this, we're going to use for this other thing to support you later down the road. If you need or, or sell or support other people down the road, if they need. And right. that's just, you know, that's what it is. That's what you're buying into. Uh, you know, and that's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fine. That's yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, and it's and, it's, uh, and it tends to be good service because you have somebody yeah. there who's frankly, and you've also, got a doctor, you know exactly where he is, you know exactly where he lives, and if he starts doing a shitty job on people, he's gonna get run out on a rail, and he knows that, exactly. and you know that. And also, yeah, of course, you know, and I people listening can probably assume this, of course, but uh, what was common with like lodge practice back then, like mutual aid association. Uh, is that you could freely leave and enter new ones at will, <laughs> like you weren't locked at all. Sure, uh, you know you could you could just be like, okay, well, this mutual aid association is not doing it for me. I'm just going to subscribe to a different one, uh, and you know maybe they'll provide me better service. And this competition kept them in check, obviously, as competition sure. checks all all types of behaviors. Uh, keeps so, costs yeah, low, it, keeps quality of service high. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like. Th- if only the socialists were anarcho-capitalists, they too could have their socialism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> if, if only, if only that we could get the socialists to be market anarchists and, and like uh, true Rothbardians, then hey, you too could have your end goal too. It, 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 great, great. It, the market anarchists do socialism better than socialists. It's just a fact. Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. It absolutely yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Speaking of regulation. Are you aware of the danger that the sandwich is in right now? Oh, oh no. 
The sandwich is in danger. <laughs> I'm, what, what now? Th- this is... I, I was horrified when I learned about this. Apparently, mm-hmm. um, the same firm that owns Jimmy John's and McAllister's Deli is trying to buy Subway. <laughs> oh no, it's Jover. Elizabeth Warren tweeted. She said, <laughs> "Big sandwich is going to win." <laughs> yeah, she said, "We don't need another private equity deal that could lead to higher food prices for consumers." First of all, this is fast food. Consumers who are concerned about food prices should be buying from the grocery store. Um, it's more expensive up front, but you get more food for longer for cheaper if you do it that way. Um, uh, the at FTC is right to investigate whether the purchase of Subway by the same firm that owns Jimmy John's and McAllister's Deli creates a sandwich shop monopoly. A, a sandwich shopopoly. <laughs> um, I'm just going to need all politicians to never speak about monopolies ever. Uh, <laughs> it is the dumbest fucking thing. I, okay. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think somebody had uh, retweeted that with a very, very good caption. It was, um, yeah, it was Scott Lin, uh, Linicom, Lin, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He said, uh, I never thought I'd see the day a sitting U.S. senator demanded the federal government settle once and for all the epic is a hamburger, a sandwich debate. <laughs> 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 yeah apparently we're concerned about a sandwich shop monopoly let me ask you this are you concerned about the sandwich shop monopoly i'm so concerned about it uh it's <laughs> no no it's it's really one of those things where it's like um honestly it's and this just goes to my whole thing like even if this what theoretically even giving them the benefit of the doubt even if this was going to be like a, a quasi monopoly type thing, it's like whenever I hear a politician speak about like the danger of monopolies, I'm just like, how dare you? <laughs> like, yeah, really, it's right. really offensive. <laughs> you are a monopoly. Stop it. Yes, you are the worst monopoly. Uh, if I could, if I could, uh, if if someone, if a genie gave me a choice between, okay, you're going to have a monopoly on violence and uh, legal criminal arbitration, or you're going to have a sandwich shop. Monopoly. I know which one I'm choosing. <laughs> you know? And I know why. I know. It's because I can make a better sandwich at home. Yes, right. <laughs> Jesus. You know, maybe maybe when Subway starts sending people to my door, if I make a better sandwich to them, then maybe I'll consider this a problem. Uh, until then, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am just, th- that just made me laugh. That made me laugh. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. we're concerned about, the sandwich shop monopoly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's the biggest, that's, the, that's our biggest national problem that we face right now. Yeah. Let me ask you this, man. Mm-hmm. Did you see the news about Chauvin? Oh, yes, I did. This came up, uh, the, uh, I, I, I can't remember what you said, but I called it out when you said it, that I wrote something down, and this is what I wrote down. Um, the Chauvin thing. Mm-hmm. So, Chauvin was stabbed in prison, in federal prison. Yeah. Uh, he was in, I believe he is stable now, but he was in severe condition. 
right mm-hmm. after the stabbing. I, he was he was shanked like a motherfucker. And um, and it's it's a I've seen a lot of takes from both sides. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people saying fucking deserved. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people saying that he's a political prisoner in the first place and he shouldn't even be there, which is simply, right. by the way, simply not true. I mean, here's the thing. This is I, I wanted to spell two things real quick, just real quick. So the the idea that there was enough fentanyl in George Floyd's system to kill a horse. Yeah, but not a not a horse who's an opium addict. You developed you develop a a uh, a capacity to use more and more opiates the more you use opiates. So the dose of fentanyl that's in your system will not necessarily kill you if you already have a resistance to the drug. Right. Okay? That's the first thing up top, right? Secondly, you're still not going to get off of an involuntary manslaughter charge if you knock down somebody with an eggshell skull. This is the idea of the exactly. eggshell egg skull, skull plaintiff, yeah. right? The yes. idea that you still have, this is usually used in civil law, but it applies in criminal as well. You are still criminally liable and civilly liable if you, let's say you push an old man and he falls down yes. and breaks his skull on the ground and his skull was made of fucking crepe paper. Well, yeah. that's still on you. Yes, it's like if I like pat you on the back, Dean, or something like that, and I but I use the same amount of force I do as like a, a ninety-nine-year-old man or something, and he falls down and like uh, like uh, hits his head and dies. I use the same amount of force, and it, would, it wouldn't be like criminal in the case with you because it wouldn't do anything to you, no. right? But in the case with the old man, it would do something. So these factors, it's not like you know, uh, it's like yeah, there is a bit of relativism, and I mean that in like a, a not a bad sense. In a, in a legitimate sense of like, yeah, things are relative between things like uh, uses of force, right? Uh, yeah, and, and the uh, person who is receiving the force. If if a person who is receiving, right. let's say, let's say that, <laughs> okay, let's 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 bring it back. Okay, let's go all the way back. Let's say there's a mm-hmm. man. Let's say there's a man, and this man yeah. has been slapping his wife for decades. Let's say it's the 1930s, and this is something that's considered to be okay. Mm-hmm. If she turns fucking 99 years old and he slaps her and her skull cracks open and she dies, he murdered her. That's manslaughter. Now, here's the thing. I I shouldn't say murdered. That was a homicide and it's probably involuntary manslaughter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's that's that is what that is, you know? So mm-hmm. it's the kind of situation where you have a, a the, the eggshell skull plaintiff. That's the that's the terminology that's used. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. First of all, George Floyd didn't die of a fentanyl overdose. It just doesn't make any sense, especially if he's an opioid user. There was so much fentanyl in him, it would have killed me. Yeah, it would have killed you because you're not a fentanyl abuser. I mean, that's just what it is. Right. Um. Anyway, so getting that out of the way. Um. Fuck the fuck that take. He's not a political yeah. prisoner. He killed a man, and he deserves right. to be. He deserves to be punished for killing the man in whatever sense that people get punished for killing men right now. It's of course not up to snuff for my anarchist ideals, but it is what it is. Um. And he didn't fucking deserve to be stabbed in prison. Right. Yeah. He is a prisoner. He is in the government's prison. It is their job to keep him safe. He is not free. He cannot leave. He is in their care in the most literal sense. 
I know how unpopular this is because um, a lot of people have this like lust for revenge, right? A lot of people are like, this person is a bad person. Yes. Um, and therefore, I want to see him harmed, right? That's a very like uh, um, common take I see. Of course. Um, I am completely against that. Uh, I think that you do not lose your rights just because you are in a prison. Just because you're in prison, it doesn't mean, well, therefore, all bets are off. And, you know, uh, therefore, you don't have a right to life. And that the state does not, you know, if I trap someone, I'm responsible for that. I have to feed them. I, you know, I, I mean, I should let them out, but I have to feed them and I have to, uh, you know, I, I have yeah. to protect. You've if taken I, I have on that responsibility. Yeah. If I remove their ability to protect themselves and I've, uh, you know, uh, just cage them like an animal i have i am responsible for that and the, yeah the state is responsible for protecting him and they did about as well as they do anything else yeah um this is the this is the thing that bugs me about this is is that i've seen so many responses to this where people are just like hey good good it's not, no it's Indeed. not good he's not a cop yeah. anymore now he's a prisoner yeah you know what i mean he was a cop right Absolutely, he was a cop. And he faced a jury of his peers for what he did while he was a cop. Now he's a prisoner. And he deserves the same protections that every prisoner deserves. Yeah. He is, he is not... I mean, here's the thing, too. People are like, but he did this, but he did that. Yes. Yeah. So did all of those fucking guys. The, the prisons yeah. are not chock full of innocent men. I right. hate to break it to you. But but usually they did it. Yeah. And yet they still deserve what what a human being fucking deserves. Yes. Yeah. Like and also right. Like I, I'm against the death penalty. But if you're going to say, well, it's good that he died in prison. Why just give him the death penalty, right? If that, yeah. you know what I mean. You might as well. Uh, right. <laughs> My dad had this idea. He said, uh, well, I, I don't know if he's the first guy to have had this idea, but he's the first person I've heard articulate it. There are enough cops getting sent to prison for, for doing shit on the job. And, and, you know, state employees generally. I'm talking prison guards, all these guys. There needs to be... Let's, let's say there's a, a, a number of states... Let's say, let's say all the states, uh, you know, west of the Mississippi, agree to build a prison in the Nevada desert. And they build this prison for former Leos. I think that's just called Nevada. <laughs> okay, yes. Sorry, sorry, go on. No, that was perfectly timed. Um, they build a prison for former Leos out in the desert somewhere, and every state that has one of these guys just sends him there. So you have a prison that's only got former Leos in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that's a particularly bad idea. If you're going to be throwing him in prison, that and it would be an interesting sociological experiment. How does that I, I, I'm sorry. This, this also sounds like the... Uh, have you seen the George Carlin bit about how to balance the budget? Uh, and he talks about building a big prison. He takes like the, I think he uses Nevada as one of the states. Uh, and he's talking about, all right, this one, we're going to put the psychos and the murderers. And this next one, we're going to put in the one neighboring, we're going to 
sex fiends and you know all that. uh and he's like then we're gonna put it on pay-per-view and every 10 minutes the door opens and they can mingle between each other but it only stays open for six seconds <laughs> you get to uh, but anyway yeah no sorry that's just no, that's that's, my favorite that's, yes that's great <laughs> um no i i think that's an i think it's an interesting idea because what it does is it solves your problem where you have leo's more and more leos who are actually going to prison for their abuses these days which is a good thing and it, but you can put them in a place where there's not a general population of guys they've put in prison you know what i mean mm-hmm. right it's it's just other leos there what um, if we just took the Leos and we move them over here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in any case, I, I just thought that was an interesting thing. But in any case, yeah, um, yeah Chauvin didn't deserve to be stabbed. I, I, yeah. I, I know it's like edgy and cool to say it, but it, there's a distinction between a cop and a prisoner. They're different mm-hmm. things. And, and, and a prisoner is in the care of the state. It is the state's job to yeah. make sure that they are safe. It's the state's job to make sure that they are, uh, that their medicine is taken care of, that they're uh, right. Their needs are met as far as food, water, sleep, all of this, all of these things that human beings need. The state has taken on the responsibility to provide that, and it's their job. This is a failure of the state. This is not justice. I'm sorry. Continue. I can understand, like, the, sorry, I was just saying, I can understand the allure of, like, having strong feelings and being like, ha, yeah, you get, you know, you get what you deserve type thing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still a human being. Uh, they're not in an act. They're not in an active role of aggression right now, right? They're in prison, uh, and they're still a human being, and that carries with it certain, like, uh, levels of dignity that I think that must be respected towards yes, that person, regardless of what he's done. Um, I was, I, I'm, I, I don't care that he quote-unquote deserved to be there. I'm, I'm a prison abolitionist yes. anyway. Yeah. Yes, right. Right? But, but I don't care that he quote-unquote deserved to be there. I, I, I am concerned with the fact that it's the state's job to keep him safe and they failed. Yes. And I'm also concerned with the fact that there's a number of people who, who are, you know, anti-cop anarchists, these kinds of things who are talking about mm-hmm. how much he deserved to get fucking stabbed. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I just found that that was just a bummer to see some of the, some of the ways that people were responding to that. Mm hmm. And the people on the right, he's not a fucking political prisoner. You fucking morons. No. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Ugh, Jesus Christ. He, he fucking leaned on a man's neck until he yeah. stopped breathing. Yeah. Uh, this is fucking stupid. You're not. Right. You're, anyway. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that take at all. Yeah. Because they think what they what they're arguing is that George Floyd died of totally unrelated things, right? It was a, it was a right, fentanyl right. overdose that killed him. And was it? And again, even if like even if you were the just the catalyst, something right? Even if you even if there were other factors, like even if you know what I mean, like the fuse is you know in, in a stick of dynamite, you know you have the fuse and you have the actual dynamite. Well, you know if you're just a fuse, but you know the uh, there are other factors that uh, call are responsible for the explosion itself yes. right but you're just announced of it it's not like well i'm just not responsible at all for that uh you know it's like yeah just like the eggshell skull thing right even if we want to say that you know um had he not been on fentanyl he wouldn't have died in that situation 
situation. That still doesn't mean that uh, uh, the the situation that uh, he was in did not call was not the catalyst to that death. Right. right? That that still that still holds. Like yeah, even it, if you, it's like, it's yeah. it's proximate causation. It's the idea yes. that you yeah. are you are ultimately you are the cause um, that is prior to the other causes. Right. That but like uh, this is a different thing. I, I should be saying but for the, the but for your actions. I shouldn't have said proximate. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. But for your actions, this man would not have died, at least in that way. Right. Right. Like for example, if there's somebody who's speeding down the road, okay, somebody's mm-hmm. speeding down the road. They're they're breaking the speed limit. They're going very fast down the road, and you're throwing rocks at cars. And it's just bouncing off their windshields because they're not going that fast. But somebody's speeding down the road and the rock breaks through their windshield, hits them in the head and kills them. Yeah. The fact that they were speeding is not the cause of their death. You are for throwing rocks. Right. And even if they would have died later on that day by speeding. <laughs> and to oh, completely yeah. Unrelated even if process, they were about to matter. hit an abutment and yes. die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You still killed them. Yes. And that's, that's, how, that's how the law considers these things. Yeah. So he absolutely, yes, he's guilty of yeah. killing the guy. And right. yeah, probably, yeah. probably voluntary manslaughter. I can't remember what his actual conviction was. Um, I think he was in federal prison because of deprivation of rights. Yeah, was it voluntary or involuntary? Well, because George Floyd said he didn't breathe and he did not relent. So would that change it to voluntary manslaughter at that point? Uh, Because he knew. um... I am looking. Second degree unintentional murder. Third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. All of those seem like they're probably a range between voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. Okay. I remember I read these statutes before when the trial was actually happening, but it's been so long ago now. But he wasn't, it doesn't look like any of these are intentional murders. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. These seem like they are ranging between involuntary and voluntary manslaughter at common law. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, that's what he was found guilty of. Yeah. Which he does—he deserves absolutely to be found guilty of those yeah. things. Yes. Do I think he deserves to be kept in a cage? I actually don't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think actually the prison—I I, don't—I don't know if maybe we should do another episode on that, but I think that's probably the thing like most people would probably disagree with us on. Uh, oh you know yes, I mean? even within the anarchist. Uh, yes. Uh, space. Um, prison so, yeah. abolitionism faces a a massive <laughs> argument. Right. Do what? It, it's easy to be a prison abolitionist for the people we like. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, absolutely. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world. Exactly. Uh, it's it's very unpopular when it's for like people who've done really bad things. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. And the this is the, uh, the, the I, I agree. I agree with you. We probably ought to do another episode on that um, because it's it's a. <sighs> It's so difficult when people want to ask the question, well, what do you do with serial rapists, for example? Right. And it's like, well, you can't really justify, you can't justify putting anyone in a cage from our perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And here's the thing, too. This is another argument that comes up about it. And it's not to break into an episode about that right now. We can't. But yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the response to that is generally something on the lines of, well, they're outlawed. And they're, at, at, the, at the most extreme ang- uh, end of that spectrum, um, they get exiled. They're not allowed to be yeah. part of the community. And to people, that sounds yeah, yeah. very Byzantine. Yes. Um, this is, uh, again, not to break into a whole episode, but I do think this is an important point to touch on real quick is that, yeah, uh, so in an outlaw system, right, is that you essentially get a blacklisted from legal services, right? And think of in a, in a market anarchist society, these legal institutions are services that you can uh, voluntarily purchase or, you know, associate with maybe through some mutual aid or something like that, uh, you know, whatever, uh, however you associate with them. And many of them would not want the reputation or the baggage that comes with uh, actively protecting, uh, not upholding rights, but actively protecting criminals, like actual criminals who've been proven yes. to be criminals. Um, so what would happen is if like these criminals, let's say, did not pay the restitution or did not follow through with whatever the um, uh, legal services required of them or asked them to do in order to be in good standing— they would say, okay, well, we're no longer going to, like, stick our neck out for you. Uh, so goodbye, farewell. Um, and essentially that, what that would mean is if that was a really egregious person, right, something like that, um, they would essentially not have any official protection from the legal services. Um, yes. Uh, if they were completely blacklisted. Uh, that means that anyone could go out, if someone, like, uh, committed some harm against them, they would not be prosecuted by these services. So that puts a very uh, high incentive for them to actually cooperate. And it produces a system where, yeah, if someone just keeps on trying to commit murder and murder and murder, uh, no legal service is going to prosecute you for taking a uh, you know, yeah. or something like that. Um, that sounds very Byzantine. So. People's response to that is like, well, that's so uncivilized. And it's like, no, 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 I disagree. I disagree. It's the most civilized. <laughs> I think it's the, it is the only, most civilized. It is the <laughs> only thing that keeps the cost of these people off of the victim. Off exactly. of their initial yes. victim. Yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it also, it is the only, like, from the perspective of the legal services, I think it's the only system that actually respects the rights of the criminal. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, because no one has a right to be, uh, you know, for other people to, uh, like, uh, cover you in their service, right? No, like, the uh, in an anarchist society, I... I, if I want to provide protection for you, that's good, but I'm not required to. I I, I can't be re- legally required. Uh, the legal system can't legally require itself to, like, provide service, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that is the most civilized answer. And, and that also doesn't I mean that... That also doesn't mean that a negligent person would be would be ousted immediately. That doesn't mean that somebody who committed oh, right. some civil wrong would be ousted immediately. But if you've got someone who's a murderer... And they and they they fail to do the things that that are demanded of them as a result of of their act of murder. Then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they lose protection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And maybe and maybe you know we even though we're we're prison abolitionists, uh, perhaps we could envision a scenario where uh, the legal system says, okay, look, we have this prison here, and but you can leave it if you want. But if you leave it, we're not going to protect you in the future. You have to spend a certain amount of time in this facility that we have for you here um sure. and if you spend this appropriate amount of time we at the end of it we will protect you we will like uh provide you legal provisions afterwards yes. if anyone attacks you uh they could do that as well because that's just a voluntary 
action that's not you know uh in, that's not really in prison saying hey if you do voluntarily decide to stay here we will protect we will you know stick our neck out for you in the future yeah but it's like uh, a voluntary that, stay it's like a voluntary stay yeah. in like a mental hospital where it's like right. you can leave whenever you want but if you want actual like the opportunity to actually rehabilitate that's that system yes. is there for you yeah exactly yeah so there could be a bunch of different scenarios like in, in a market anarchist that could like uh, uh, be solutions to the problem. Sure. Yeah. There's a number of ways to do it without keeping people in a cage uh, against yep. their will. Yep. Uh, which is ultimately the problem with the prisons. It's not even necessarily that somebody's in a cage. If somebody wants to be in a cage, let them be in a cage. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's it's more the the it's the fact that they can't leave, and it's the fact that that mm-hmm. if they leave, it's a crime. <laughs> yes. Um. In any case, yeah, that, that, that occurred. But there was, I think, the most important story of, oh, yes. of what's Absolutely. happened just over the last... I mean, all you know, Gaza and Israel, who cares? There's, there's, there's right. still stuff happening in Ukraine. Who gives a fuck? Nobody gives yeah, a shit. Exactly. Because yeah. there's, there's one thing that's the most important thing to all of us, I think. And, you know, the question on everyone's minds, you know, yes. what are the gay furries up to? You yeah. Know, like, what have they been doing? Absolutely. Right? Like... You know, and here's the uh, thing: what are they uh, doing? What are they doing for me? What have they done right, for exactly. me lately? Yeah, because you know they've been a little quiet recently. I think you know the news cycle has taken up uh, you know a, 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 a lot of space in a lot of different areas. And I think uh, you know uh, they've been you know under the hood. They've been working hard uh, to and, and truthfully, I think the ones I'm about to talk about in a moment here are actually the torchbearers of the Ron Paul revolution. <laughs> I think they're, I think they're heroes. Um, <laughs> so this is from PC Gamer. Not anybody um, of the Libertarian Institute. They've been shown up. By you're right. Yeah. yeah, move over, Scott Horn. This is the, <laughs> this is the, this is the I'm real sorry, thing. Keith Knight. More like Keith. Who? We've got gay <laughs> furries on our side. <laughs> yeah. Now, how could we lose? <laughs> Uh, so this is from PC Gamer. Uh, self-described gay furry hackers breach one of the biggest nuclear labs in the U.S. and demand it begin researching IRL cat girls. IRL cat girls. So as you know, uh, the Ron Paul plank that everyone forgets about, but it was his most important plank. It was actually above, like in the Fed, was make anime real, right? Yes. So this was like his big plank. And these people are walking in his footsteps. Uh, these furries are trying to de- make anime real. Good for them. They want. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so um, the Idaho National Laboratory, the INL, one of the biggest nuclear labs in the U.S. with thousands of employees, has been hacked by the group Siege Security, stylized as Siege Sec. Uh, the hackers are self-proclaimed gay furry hackers who have posted a sample of the data obtained online and are threatening to release huge amounts of employee data unless the lab makes a peculiar peculiar deal. Uh, the quote, we are willing to make a deal with the INL, says Seacheck, uh, alongside the post, if they research creating IRL cat girls, we will take down this post. I, I, I support these people. Oh, of, of course. I value I value their commitment to making yes. IRL cat girls real. 
uh, that that this is a reference to to a long running meme about furries wanting to create a race of sexy human mutant cats. And yes, none of those words are in the Bible. Uh, the data breach consists of employee addresses, social security numbers, birth dates, numbers, and lots lots more. Uh, the East Idaho News reported. Uh, it contacted some of the employees in the initial league and verified the information was accurate. Um, the yeah. I, uh, the INL is based in Idaho Falls and employs around 6,100 people. And the scale of this thing is almost unimaginable. 890 square miles, 52 reactors have been built and operated by the INL since 1949. Former director uh, John uh, Grossenbacher said, the history of nuclear energy for peaceful application has uh, partially been written in Idaho. Uh, so this is a big deal. This is a big place. They really, they really went for the top dog here. Absolutely, uh, this is not, you know, as you do. Well, I mean, like is this, the right? only people who could do it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I, I think they have their priorities in order. I, I think they're, you know, yeah. Um, uh, I sneezed. They are. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it quiet, but Jesus, that was rough. Um, thank you. Um, yes, they, they could they could accomplish this if they really put their minds to it. I, I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they need it. They need to. We need it. We need this. Give give this to us. Give yeah. us this. Yeah. We we need a win, right? Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> we're currently in the it's so Jover right now era, and we we really need that. You know that win. We need to be back. We need to be. We need to be so back. Yeah, exactly. I think this could be the big turnaround. You know what I mean? Uh, this could re- redeem the 2020s. It really uh, could. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Dude. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love this fucking story so much. Uh, well, see, check the the uh, the furry hackers uh, have hit some big targets in the past, including NATO. <laughs> So these are our guys. These are fucking guys. The gay furries. (laughs) Again, if I know no one got me, I know they got me. (laughs) Oh, great! They got me. Um. Uh, This is this is fucking hilarious, dude. These these. These, I love this kind of like weird fucking, just this this strange, um, internet subculture hacker groups that do shit like this. This is this is fucking comedy. I love it. I'm just imagining them like pointing a gun at Zelensky and they're saying, "Give us the cat girls," or Zelensky gets it. It's just like you know, perfectly the perfect encapsulation. He's standing there in a fursuit. Yeah, Zelensky in an arm bar with a gun pointed at his head. He has a My Little Pony in a jar in the other hand. (laughs) Oh man. God, it's 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 amazing. I love it. I love that this is the timeline we live in. Yeah, I, they are trying to make anime real. They're trying to fulfill Ron Paul's revolution. I, I wish I, them the best. Yeah, yeah, really. It's yeah, yeah. Best of luck to them, um, and I hope I hope that these nuclear scientists can actually apply their skills somewhere where that it matters. I agree. Uh, uh public post about the hack be, uh, began uh, with quote meow 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 before posting. 
the yummy and quote unquote yummy and crunchy data. <laughs> <laughs> yummy and crunchy data. Yeah. Oh fuck! Uh. <laughs> oh shit! Oh fuck! <laughs> Following the hack being made public, the group's social media account commented: "Many people ask why for the INL breach. We are cats. Intricacies such as why do not concern us." <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Oh my god. Well, this is my new favorite hacker group. Move over, Anonymous. The gay yeah, furries. You're right. Have, yeah. Have taken your crown. Again, this is. The, this is. Like, look, everyone is black billed. How can you be black billed? Uh, like, reading a story. Seriously, like this, how can you be a doomer? Like this how is, can this, you be a right, doomer when exactly. stuff like this is happening in the world around you? Yeah, exactly. Like the internet allowed this to happen. This is like a, the like the biggest win. Like if you're talking to someone debating like the you know the efficacies of the internet long term, it's like yeah, this is like what it's all yeah, about. That weird libertarian <laughs> account that was talking about why the internet's bad. Yeah, this is this is the result of the internet. We love this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And and when we have genetically modified cat girls in like uh, I don't know uh, forty years or something, we'll have this group to thank. Elon has forsaken us. If you remember, this request was made of Elon. Yes. He has he has forsaken us. He has left us. Elon is now more interested really funny in running websites named after a letter. Group. Do what? It'd be really funny if we find out he's the leader of this group. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> <laughs> quick somebody search for what was the what was the what was the term tasty crunchy somebody just search tasty, tasty crunchy. crunchy from at elon yeah. musk <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, oh yeah sure this story was great <laughs> i love it i absolutely love it um god we live in the best fucking timeline yeah I mean, the Palestinians don't. Their timeline sucks ass, but ours right. is okay. <laughs> but, you know, if there, were, if there were cat people walking around, it might be better for them. Oh, it would absolutely. Uh, oh, dude, dude, undeniably. Yeah. It'd be so much better. It'd be better for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would end all war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. God, that's... I love that fucking story so much. Um... Yeah. Did we have anything else for this episode? <laughs> I, I, no, I'm done. No. All right. <laughs> uh, let's get to plugs then, man. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at Ace underscore Arcus. Uh, on Blue Sky, it's acearcus.bsky.social. And acearcus.substack.com. That's it. Yes. Uh, Pacing Joska, J-O-U-S-K-A, on Twitter. Also, Pacing, Pacing Joska on Blue Sky, pacingjoska.bsky.social. And the show, show on Blue Sky, at TETC Show on Twitter. Thank you all so much for listening. Later, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show. Show.